Hello and welcome to ILTV's Israel Daily. I'm Aaron Porras and before we begin, I want to talk again about our all-new streaming platform, ILTV+. Thousands of you have already signed up and we're so honored to receive your support. But more than that, by supporting ILTV+, you're supporting our efforts to highlight the truly amazing things that Israel has to offer on our own home turf. No sponsored content and no special interests. Also, you'll benefit from our all-new content, including daily morning briefings, exclusive interviews and lectures, virtual tours, live streams at holy sites, and much, much more. So again, sign up today at ILTV.tv or through all of the app stores. Full episodes of ILTV content will no longer be available on YouTube and on social media. Now, coming up in today's newscast, violence in the Arab-Israeli sector reaching a very grim milestone. Meantime, the state of Israel celebrating its new immigrants, or Olim, despite the many challenges that face them once they arrive. And finally, a scuba diver surfacing from a dive of a lifetime with 900-year-old archaeological artifacts in hand. Israel marking a grim and unfortunate milestone Monday morning, the 100th homicide in the Israeli Arab sector since the start of 2021. This time, a man in his 40s gunned down while in his car. The Arab sector again pleading for anyone to step in and stem the violence. A harrowing car chase in the Arab-Israeli town of Bina Monday morning. Two unidentified assailants gunning down and then confirming their murder of 44-year-old Salim Abdelkarim Hassarma. Hassarma thereby becoming the 100th victim of homicide in Arab-Israeli communities since January, including 15 Palestinian citizens who were staying in the country. Meantime, Hassarma's brother, Ibrahim, also killed by gun violence in December 2019, and this just the tip of the iceberg, the majority of such attacks in general in Israel occurring within the Israeli Arab sector, and a recent report suggesting that some 80% of murder cases in the Arab communities remaining unsolved. Government officials and regional heads, meantime, blaming the ongoing and growing violence on powerful organized criminal gangs, decades of state neglect, and general lawlessness in Arab areas. And Northern Police Chief Shimon Levy saying, quote, we are at war. Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and the cabinet then again voting in favor of increasing action to combat the terrible phenomenon on Sunday. The controversial motion, however, which is undergoing debate and is yet to fully pass, granting police the right to search private properties without a court order or warrant. Further, it's not yet clear how effective this measure would even be, as critics point to a lack of proper intelligence. For example, it's believed that hundreds of thousands of illegal guns are held in Israel, primarily in the Arab communities. But police are operating in a fog when trying to track them and are therefore less likely to bust down many doors anytime soon. Israeli Ynet columnist Matan Suri claiming that police have never mapped out the gangs who operate in certain areas. They don't know who's purchasing the weapons, who's funding them, who's in conflict with whom, and who has the potential firepower to retaliate. Now, speaking of crises in the Arab world, the government in Jerusalem watching with a very heavy heart as neighboring countries struggle for their freedoms and against the influence of Iran. במבט לסביבה, אנחנו עוקבים אחרי ההתפתחויות בלבנון וקצת מזרחה יותר בעיראק. בשני המקרים אנחנו רואים התפתחויות ומגמות שצומחים מלמטה, של כוחות שפשוט נמאס להם מהשליטה ומההשפעה האיראנית. אם זה חיזבאללה בלבנון, 
ואם זה מיליציות שיעיות במקרה של עיראק, שספגו מכה קשה בבחירות שהתקיימו שם בשבוע שעבר. תזכרו, זה הטאץ' האיראני. כל מקום שהאיראנים נכנסים אליו, נכנס לסחרור של אלימות, עוני, חוסר יציבות וכישלון. אני מקווה גם בשביל העם הלבנוני, גם בשביל העיראקים, שהם יצליחו להשתחרר מהלפיתה החונקת הזאת של משמרות המהפכה האיראנים ולבנות לעצמם עתיד טוב יותר. Meanwhile, the P5 plus one power is still projecting hopes to come to an agreement on curbing Iran's nuclear program. The world power is likewise becoming increasingly annoyed by Tehran's apparent unwillingness to negotiate. Anonymous American officials, for their part, saying time is running out and that they believe Tehran absolutely intends to end talks in Vienna. European diplomats similarly saying that Iran not yet ready to return to negotiations. Instead, Iran's new negotiating team under hardliner Ibrahim Raisi calling to discuss the texts that may be presented in Brussels when they meet with EU officials ahead of any chance of returning to the real negotiations in Vienna. Moving on, Israeli cyber defense forces recently fighting off a number of cyber attacks, including a ransomware strike that devastated Hadera's Hillel Yaffa Medical Center last week. In fact, the health ministry is still working to recover and restore Hillel Yaffa's systems. But experts are continuing to warn that this is just one battle in a war that's just beginning. Here to discuss, Head of Product Vulnerability Research with Checkpoint Software's Oded Vanunu. Oded, thanks so much for being with us now. How many attacks are we fighting off you know, per day, week, or month? Okay, so this is the numbers that we are talking about are big numbers. And, and we need to understand that currently we are not surprised with the situation at all. Just to give the numbers, we are talking for the health uh, institute or the health industry, we are talking about 1,400 attacks per week, attempts per week. This is like the double figure comparing to the average of the world. And this is something that we are seeing for a very long time. So basically, we can say that Israeli industry in all sector, from health to governments and to education are under big cyber attacks. And then this is something that will continue to, to happen. And, and we need to think differently right now to understand that this is the volume and what we can do to become better. So when you're saying that, that Israel is, rece is receiving you know, double the average of the rest of the world, are these considered cyber terrorist attacks or, or are they more focused on money, which is uh, what people are, are saying that, that they think that it was a Chinese group uh, that was looking for monetary gain in the case of, of Hillel Yaffa Medical Center? So we need to understand that there are two main profiles today that creating or making the cyberspace very aggressive. The first profile are governments, countries. Countries around the world, governments around the world in the last 10 years shift budgets from conventional warfare into cyber warfare. And that means that their daily objective is to penetrate into other countries' facilities to gain intelligence and to gain access to the day of order. This is one profile, and we are talking about big, scale, big scales of attack. Second profile is the cybercrime. Cybercrime in the last 10 years also become 
very sophisticated organization that are being fueled by the cryptocurrency, which means that they can cash out on every activity that they are doing and they can cash out in, with millions of dollars around the world. So that makes the cybercrime organization that are more powerful or like powerful like nations. And in Israel, unfortunately, we are seeing these two profile and this is exactly what explained the big numbers and the aggressives that we see in the industry. So what, what do you suggest the Israeli government do? Because I, I, I'm assuming that they know as well as you do just how great the threat is. Yes. So the Israeli government, they are not sitting because things are being done behind the scene and things are being done uh, gradually. I, I mean that currently, as I see it, or as I point in what is the main problem, first of all, we need to understand that health uh, industry was not considered as a critical infrastructure. That means that they have less budget for cyber defense. So this should be changed. Second, let's look at the industry of Israel. Cyber attacks or cyber, it's a war. It's a, it's a warfare. This is what happened. And in, in warfare, you need soldiers. What we are seeing is that there is a big gap today with quality people that will, can go and work as a cyber defense in hospitals or in government places because the big money is in the ITEC, in the richest companies, on the technology companies, and people prefer to go work there. And that means that we don't have the professionalism that we have on the big companies, on government companies. So what we need to do is to make a big effort to educate a lot of people for cyber defense, because this is a warfare, and to make sure that we put the right people in places that we all know that are weak on defense in general. All right, Oded Vanunu, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. All right, now before we continue, if you haven't done so already, please check out our all-new streaming platform, ILTV Plus, available at ILTV.tv and on both the Apple and Android app stores, and now also on Roku and Amazon Fire. We'll be providing all-new and exclusive content, morning briefings with ILTV's Hannah Rifkin, and so much more. We're talking all of Israel 24-7 in the palm of your hands. Now in other news, as the budget vote draws near, Prime Minister Bennett calling on everyone within the coalition to toe the party line the fragile government hinging on whether or not the budget gets approved, the first budget in three and a half years. This is the first time for the next few weeks to protect all the efforts of the coalition so that we can continue to develop the goals that we have achieved together. העם סבא מחלוקות וריבים קטנונים ומצפה מאיתנו, מחברי הממשלה, מחברי הקואליציה, למשהו אחר. Joining with more, Rabbi Dov Lipman, founder and director of government relations for Yad Le'ulim and former Knesset member for the Yeshatid party. Thanks so much for being with us, Rabbi. Now, what are the challenges still facing this budget? It's interesting, uh, and the dollars and cents, or the shkalim, so to speak, of the budget 
they've pretty much worked out all of those details. The struggles that they're having are when you bring together so many different parties with different philosophies and ideologies, how to make sure they stick together to get to that vote. So just as an example, when you have members of the Merits Party, which is a left-wing party, going to visit Mahmoud Abbas in Ramallah, the Palestinian Authority, that raises the, uh, the anger of the right wing of the party. Uh, there was a vote last week about uh, legalizing cannabis, and the Arab party, uh, Ram, wasn't supportive of that. And yet, despite the fact that they have these differences, you do see that they do seem to be heeding uh, Bennett's call to try to toe the line. So, for example, last week's vote on the cannabis was a strong statement from Ram that they are going to continue with this coalition and get to the point of the budget passing. But there are daily small little crises that takes place, and it takes a lot of leadership to try to weave it and keep it all together. Well, and even with, with the cannabis bill, I just want to clarify that, that Ram was able to, to scale back that bill from legal, full legalization towards really just focusing only on medicinal can, cannabis uh, specifically. But uh, again, you know, with all of these issues that are happening, you don't, you don't expect anyone to break rank. You, you think that they're all pretty much operating under the, uh, uh, under the ideology that you know, a, a government is better than not a government, even if it's, uh, you know. From everything that I can Sure. From everything that I can tell, uh, being in the Knesset and talking with the sources in the Knesset, it's in everyone's best interest to pass this budget and to find a way to make this work. It's in their interest because, first of all, they have positions that they're having influence. That's part one. It's in their uh, interest because it's keeping Netanyahu out of the premiership, which is what really brought them all together. And there is this hope, everyone should know this, that perhaps once the budget passes and it's uh, a reality that this government is off and running for a few years, there's even a possibility at that point of Netanyahu stepping aside and leaving his position as the head of the opposition, moving on to other things. And that would be, from this coalition's perspective, uh, the greatest victory because, again, what brought them together was uh, trying to take Netanyahu away from the premiership. So I do believe, uh, Aaron, that they will find a way to work out all of these issues that come up. There have been significant challenges, and there's a lot of members of Knesset and ministers that are staying very quiet about issues they'd normally be super vocal about, just for the sake of keeping this coalition together and getting to that critical vote of the budget. What happens after the budget passes, that'll be interesting mm -hmm. to see as well. All right, so hopefully when we get there, we'll have you back with more. Uh, but Rabbi, I'll be right back with you for another topic, but first I wanna change. Today we're marking Aliyah Day, which champions immigration or Aliyah to the State of Israel, and Prime Minister Naftali Bennett himself in American Ole calling on government to do more to help with immigrant absorption and immigrant success. Aliyah inose bal chashivut estrategit ve archava shel Aliyah hiyad leumi elyon. Yachadim chaveray ve chavrotay le shulchan hamemshala, anachnu nifal gam betchum ze. Medinat Yisraeli beito shel ama yehudi. והשאיפה שלנו היא להמשיך ולהביא כמה שיותר מאחינו ואחיותינו הביתה. במיוחד לדאוג למי שכבר נמצא פה. פה הכשל בשנים האחרונות, יודעים להעלות אנשים, אבל כשמגיעים לפה הטיפול לא מספיק טוב. המדינה עושה הרבה בשביל העולים, והיא צריכה לעשות יותר, גם בשביל הדור השני והשלישי שכבר כאן, גם בשביל הוריו. Returning with more on the life of Olim in Israel, Rabbi Dov Lipman, founder and director of government relations for Yad Le Olim and former Knesset member for the Yeshatid Party, 
Thanks for being with us again. Now, Bennett calls out the failure until now in integrating Olim. Would you agree with that statement? It's a strong statement, uh, and I think that many Olim have done a wonderful job integrating, but on a government level, in terms of what the government can do to make sure that every single new immigrant to Israel succeeds and integrates uh, properly, there I do agree with the statement that there has been a, a failure, and I'm so thrilled to see that this government is making this a priority. So what are the primary you know, challenges that are, that are facing Olim, in your opinion, and why have these issues been ignored or poorly, poorly managed for so long? There's no doubt that many of them are economic in nature, making sure that they can have the proper training or get help in finding jobs. It's very difficult. You come from a country with a different language. You don't know the Hebrew. You don't have the culture. And there seems to be a lack of willingness to bring uh, new immigrants into the workplace. Uh, there's no doubt that people have uh, college degrees that have to go through all kinds of hoops to get accredited here in Israel. It makes it very challenging. And people actually have to shift careers uh, because of that. That's on the economic front. Front, on the bureaucratic front, uh, so many hoops to go through to be able to get proper health care and education. And, and I want to be very clear, because I know people are listening from around the world. Uh, Aliyah is wonderful, and it's the most incredible decision you'll ever make in your life, but it is challenging. One of the reasons why we established Yad Lim was to help with a lot of these issues, to try to be that hand to help people through it. In terms of your question about why has it been this way, uh, I'm going to be very honest with you. For many, many years, the uh, Immigration and Absorption Ministry was in the hands of a party uh, that worked very hard for their population. It was in the hands of Israel Beitenu, which was mostly for uh, the Russian-speaking immigrants, who had very real needs. And I'm happy that those needs were being addressed, but those needs are not the same as North American uh, immigrants or Latin American immigrants or people from other countries in Europe. So I'm happy to see there's a new minister. Uh, she's been in the office for a year, Penina Tamanushata from Blue and White. Uh, she's uh, from Ethiopian descent. She is, is, is creating a revolution, uh, Aaron, on the ground in terms of trying to address all of these issues. And I'm very happy there's now an inter-ministry uh, cabinet to try to put it all together. And we certainly will work very closely with them to try to make progress on pressing issues to ensure that both Olim and those who want to make Aliyah have a much smoother process than it's been until so now. That's, so that's what I wanted to ask you. I understand that you're proposing a new Knesset committee for managing Ole affairs specifically. Uh, you know, materially speaking, what, what is it that you hope to accomplish or address through this committee? So here's the thing which many people don't realize, and that is the Knesset has always had a committee for immigration, absorption, and diaspora affairs, and this current Knesset, the 24th Knesset, has not established it uh, because of pure petty politics behind the scenes in the Knesset, and that's why I called in my Jerusalem Post column for it to be reestablished. What this committee does is it gives all the various organizations that are helping Olim a place to come to and express to the members of Knesset and to the ministry what are the issues that are taking place? It's a place where Olim themselves can come and speak and share their experiences with the members of Knesset. And it also has the additional title of Diaspora Affairs, where there's a place for diaspora Jews and diaspora Jewish organizations to have a voice as well. If the Knesset is the seat of democracy, is the seat of the house of the people, then we have to have a place to express that. So I now have to check and see, are there various committees that might be dealing with an Aliyah issue, but there's no 
no dedicated committee to it right now, as there has been in every other Knesset. And therefore, the call is that Prime Minister Bennett and the entire government figure out a way to make sure that this committee gets a chairman and begins to function so that we and the Olim organizations and Olim and diaspora affairs can all have a place to express their voice and make progress on issues within the Israel's house of democracy. Rabbi Lippman, thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. All right, it's a bird, it's Superman, no wait. It's Luftwaffe fighter jets flying over Jerusalem? For the first time in over a century, German military aircraft taking to the skies above Israel's capital and parliament building, and this as part of the annual international blue flag exercises. This year, the Israel-hosted blue flag military drills will include seven participating countries, soldiers from the United States, Germany, Italy, the UK, France, India, and Greece. And beginning Sunday, it's set to end October 28. Additionally, while, it's, while this is not the first blue flag exercise, it is marked by a number of records and firsts. For one, this is the largest and most advanced aerial exercise ever hosted in the Jewish state. But more than that, this marks the first time since World War I that German military aircraft have flown over Jerusalem. This also marks the first time since the British mandate that English fighter jets have participated in an exercise like this in Israel, and the first time ever that Israeli deployments for uh, Indian Mirage fighters as well as French Rafals. As for the purposes of the drill this year, uh, Blue Flag is meant to strengthen strategic international cooperation through shared learning regarding the use of fourth and fifth gen aircraft in complex operational scenarios. Israeli Air Force Commander Major General Amikam Nolkin explaining that we live in a complicated region and that, quote, holding an international exercise in this reality while continuing both our overt and covert activities on all fronts is of utmost strategic importance and it has extensive impact over the Israeli Air Force, IDF, and State of Israel. And now our final story tonight. It doesn't matter if you dig in the earth or swim in the coastal waters. In Israel, you always have a chance at stumbling on history. And this time, an Israeli scuba diver amazed to discover ancient artifacts uncovered by the Mediterranean undercurrents. Shlomi Katzin, an Israeli resident of Atlit just south of Haifa, casually diving off the coast of the Carmel over the weekend. But unlike in his other tours, Katzin stumbling upon a number of ancient artifacts sticking out of the sand. It appears that for the first time in roughly 900 years, the sand's shifting with the undercurrents to reveal stone anchors, metal anchors, pottery fragments, and a sword with a meter-long blade and a hilt measuring 30 centimeters, or nearly a foot in length. Fearing that the artifacts would be stolen or reburied, however, Katzin did what citizens are typically never supposed to do. He recovered the sword and brought it ashore. Normally, excavators and archaeologists want to document discoveries in situ, or in their place of discovery, in order to retrieve as much data about the find as possible, especially as the Carmel Coast provided an anchorage for ships dating as far back as the Late Bronze Age 4,000 years ago. On the other hand, Katzin did immediately contact the Antiquities Authorities in order to report the find, and Katzin received high praises and a certificate of appreciation for good citizenship for doing so. Now, as for these artifacts' origins, Inspector for the IAA Robbery Prevention Unit near Distelfeld saying that, quote, the sword, which has been preserved in perfect condition, is a beautiful and rare find and evidently belonged to a crusader knight. It was found encrusted with marine organisms, but it was apparently made of iron, and it's exciting to encounter such a personal object, taking you 900 years back in time to a different era with knights, armor, and swords. Now let's take a look at the weather forecast with Hannah Rifkin.
And we had some morning showers this morning. More expected tomorrow a.m. until around latest 11 in the Haifa and Tel Aviv areas. Partly cloudy skies almost everywhere else. And this evening's lows ranging between 14 to 20 degrees Celsius. And temperature highs on Tuesday ranging in the mid-20s. And now back to the studio with Aaron. And now before we go, let's take a look at what's going viral here in Israel. That is it for today's news. But for more of the latest updates from Israel, please make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at ILTV.tv and sign up for our brand new streaming platform, ILTV+. Plus. We will no longer be showing full episodes on YouTube and on social media. Instead, on ILTV+, Plus, you can still get all of your favorite ILTV programs, exclusive content, and much, much more available on all the app stores and on all devices, and starting today on Roku and Amazon Fire. I'm Aaron Porras. Be well. Thank you so much for watching.